welcome to City Break Ideas, episode 20. I'm Marion Jones. Bienvenue, willkommen, balcha, that's Gaelic if you weren't aware, for welcome, welcome in the three languages. When I'm doing one of my normal series, I do like to say welcome in the relevant language. For City Break Ideas, that's a bit trickier. We're going to be covering seven or eight cities in different countries today. None of them, in fact, in France or Germany or anywhere Gaelic speaking, but you get the idea. You're welcome whatever language you speak. And especially if you're new to City Breaks or indeed to City Break Ideas. And if you are, an outline in a couple of sentences of what to expect is, this is my monthly episode when instead of doing my own content on cities that I've visited, I have a look at travel blogs to see which ones I like and where the people writing those have been and put together a smorgasbord of ideas to put to you. Hopefully you'll hear some interesting things and hopefully you'll be prompted to go and look at the websites themselves. All the addresses will be given in the show notes and do some further exploration. So for the first time ever, I have in fact four contributors today. Normally it's three, but there was a fourth one that I was intrigued by. And I thought, why not? Let's go for it. Okay, so I better get straight on with it in that case. And the first website which I want to highlight today is the one known as sandinmysuitcase.com. What a wonderful title, by the way. And it opens like this. We're Janice and George Mukalov. Apologies, by the way, if that's not quite how you pronounce it. Anyway, we're lawyers by profession, and now we're travel writers. Much more fun, don't you think? In fact, they're being modest there. They are award-winning travel writers, based in Victoria, Canada. They write for leading magazines and newspapers. They won first place in a Best Travel Blog Award from the Society of American Travel Writers a few years ago. And so I'm delighted that Janice and George allowed me to ferret around in their blog and choose some things to tell you about. They've done all the research. I'm merely passing the message on. Okay, so they carry on their introduction as follows. We confess we're luxury lovers. Yes, that includes swank villa resorts with private pool suites, but also more affordable boutique inns oozing charm and character. I'm reading this, by the way, directly from their website, and lots of the keywords, private pool suites, for example, and most of the place names to follow, are in fact links. So if you have a look at the website, you can go a-hunting from there. OK, so to carry on. We love venturing off the beaten path. Africa and Sri Lanka, say hello. We visited Mexico, especially Los Cabos, so many times it's almost our second home. Discovering all the things to do in Victoria, Canada, where we live, and within driving distance in beautiful British Columbia, our home province, is always a joy as well. When we travel, you'll find us hiking, snorkelling and bicycling, sussing out cool museums, strolling city seats from end to end, and poking our heads into this and that, enjoying ethnic cuisine and good wine, losing ourselves in long conversations with local guides and people. We're not totally hedonistic, though. We prefer to write about hotels, cruises, tours and experiences that in some way help to make this world a better place. And we donate 10% of what we make each year from our travel writing and blogging to Doctors Without Borders. So, as you can tell from that confident intro, just stacks and stacks of stuff to go and find. I picked out a couple of posts to share a little bit with you. One on San Francisco, entitled in fact, Bicycling Across San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. And as ever with every blog, what really makes it stand out is just the quality of the writing, the feeling that these people really have been to that place. 
soaked up its atmosphere and are passing it on to you. The opposite, if you will, of just copy and paste from the guidebooks. Okay, so this is what they write about the day they hired bikes and set off. Stopping to lean against the rust orange railings, we feel the vibrations of hundreds of cars thundering by. The sharp wind blows strong at this height, and the fog, like a living beast, rolls and claws its way across the dry hilltops opposite. Far below, tiny sailboats skim across the choppy water. Too chilled to linger any more, we hop back onto our bikes. And then an extract from a little bit later on. Suddenly, as we roll down into the quaint seaside town of Sosalito, we enter a different microclimate. The wind dies down, the sun shines warmly, and we can sit with cappuccinos by the bay. And they go on to explain that however much you think you know about San Francisco's bridge, from films and whatnot, it's always going to be a dramatic experience when you yourself go visit. Or, as they put it, looking up from the bicycle lane at the 746-foot-high Twin Towers anchoring the massive single suspension span, you can't help but be awed at this amazing engineering feat. Wonderful pictures, go find, and also links then underneath that text to other posts about San Francisco and its various, very different neighbourhoods. Down the Embarcadero Promenade, for example, up the Greenwich Street steps, past, quote, the cutest pastel-coloured Victorian houses and gardens, to Coit Tower and historic Telegraph Hill. There's some info on Fisherman's Wharf, from where you can get boat trips to Alcatraz. I really fancy that. There's something about the Ferry Building, which has a collection of gourmet food stores and coffee shops. Oysters, anyone? Or burgers by the waterfront? There's detail of how you can climb up 377 wooden stair steps to Filbert Street, where you'll find pastel-coloured gingerbread houses dating back as far as 1870. There's something on the North Beach area where lots of immigrants from Genoa and Sicily settled, and so where today you'll find scores of Italian restaurants, cafes and bars, and a little piece about the City Lights bookstore, founded in 1953, a, quote, left-leaning literary hangout, a paradise for bibliophiles, with a vast selection of books on every conceivable topic, from classic European literature and contemporary poetry to sexual politics. And there's lots and lots I haven't mentioned links to to things about the food and the restaurants and so on. Okay, so by way of a complete contrast from the Sand in My Suitcase website, I went for a city that I'm very intrigued by, have in fact on my Got to Do a City Break series on list one day, and that's Dresden in Germany. Terribly badly bombed at the end of World War II, as you may well know, virtually reduced to rubble, but today nearly completely rebuilt, reconstructed, if you will, to look pretty much exactly as it did before the firebombs. Everything, write Janice and George, looks old, but shiny and new old. They give a handy two-day possible itinerary, covering everything from history to countryside to beer. So if you're planning a little visit, they've done the thinking for you. And if you're not sure whether Dresden's the sort of place you'd enjoy, you're going to be able to find out by reading the post. So, for day one, they suggest spending the morning at Dresden Castle, chock full of history and glorious objects from days gone by. In the historic Green Vault, for example, there, you may find, and I'm quoting, gilded goblets made from ostrich eggs, bejeweled swords, shimmering crystals and agate bowls, and the largest, most exquisite green diamond in the world, 
a whopping 41 carats of glittering green light and colour. Yes, writes Janice, or possibly George, there is some serious bling to be eyeballed at the green vault. And then in the afternoon, continuing the history theme, why not go and visit the Zwinger Palace? Built at the end of the 17th century by Augustus the Strong, ruler of Saxony at the time, who had a look round at what other kings were doing, found out about the magnificent building programme of King Louis XIV over in France and thought, I can do that. So here it is, a magnificent Baroque palace, complete with an orangery, to be used for tournaments and other court activities. There are three museums attached. The porcelain collection is probably the best known. You may know that Dresden porcelain is world famous. And indeed, this is the world's largest collection of porcelain. But there's also an old master's gallery with European paintings, Titian, Raphael, Correggio, etc. And a scientific sort of museum with telescopes and other early scientific instruments. Sounds like you could spend all day there. But they suggest you should actually take in one more thing, and that is the Frauenkirche. So Kirche is the German for church. A Frauenkirche would be a church of Our Lady. And this one is a beauty. Again, Baroque style from the 18th century. And what you wouldn't be able to tell is that it was completely destroyed during the firebombing of Dresden in 1945, leaving only a pile of blackened stones, which sat there for the next 45 years under communist rule. But after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of Germany, a new national pride. Funds were raised to rebuild the church as far as possible using the original materials. An absolute feat. For day two of their itinerary, they suggest something completely different. You've done the castles, the palaces, the church. Why not spend a day bicycling along the Elbe cycle path? So the Elbe is the river running through Dresden. And there are 725 miles of this cycle path, all the way from the Czech border up to the North Sea. Fortunately, there are also lots of bike rental shops in Dresden, so easy to organise. George and Janice cycled the 16-mile section from Radeboil to Pilnitz Castle, that being the summer residence of the Saxon kings. So think what Versailles was to Paris, or Peterhof to St. Petersburg. A longish stretch, a lovely castle to visit at the end, and then what do you need to do after that? Obviously, you need a beer. So they spent the rest of the day touring the Raderberger Brewery, one of the, wait for it, 600 breweries in the Saxony region, this being the original one which first brewed the traditional Pilsner-style beer popular in Saxony. And, say Janice and George, if you're not quite sure what that is, it is, and I'm quoting, a kind of sweet beer with a dry, bitterish finish. And yes, definitely something you at least want to taste while you're in the area which made it famous. There is lots and lots and lots more on the website, but I'm going to move on to a second site in a moment, but not without thanking again both Janice and George for their participation in my episode today. Perhaps in German, as we've just been to Dresden. Vielen Dank für die Mitarbeit. Or, if you don't speak German, thanks very much for working with me. OK, onward. Let's go somewhere else. And that is, in fact, the title of the next website www.letsgosomewhereelse.co.uk Remember, all the addresses will be given in the show notes. Hey everyone, welcome to my blog. My name's Kirsten and I'm here to show you that you can travel and see the world without quitting your day job and within a budget. So you can tell straight away that this is a very different slant, 
a solo traveller, a bit less of a budget maybe, and certainly more time constraints. And Kirsten, who runs it, writes, I know what it's like to want to travel so much but not have the time. Let's Go Somewhere Else covers destinations on a budget, within a work holiday allowance, and while you have a nine to five. It has lots of different sections. There's a UK section with about 12 posts, some cities, two of which actually have already featured a City Break series, that being Bath and Edinburgh. But there's York too. I think there'll be a City Breaks York series one day. But other things from the UK too, Harry Potter Studios, a road trip in Kent. There's a Europe section with about a dozen posts from all sorts of different places and all quite focused. An off-season day in Barcelona, a budget guide to Switzerland, Christmas in Iceland. There's an Asian section too with six posts, a guide to sleeper trains in Vietnam, three quirky cafes in Hanoi, and volunteering, ethically, stresses Kirsten, with elephants in Thailand. There's America too, Disneyland, a Hollywood photo diary. There's a lifestyle section with quite the mix, food and restaurants, photo guides, something called Just for Fun, and wait for it, a section on Korean TV dramas. And why not? I picked from there two posts which are related, one on Lisbon and one on a particular area of Lisbon, Belém. So, Kirsten tells us that when she went to Lisbon, she decided she was going to do her best to live, quote, the real traveller life. No cheating and grabbing an Uber from the airport. It must be a local bus. I think it was also one of her first solo trips, and she says, it really sank in that I could do whatever the hell I wanted without consequences to anyone else. So a really liberating little trip. It's divided into three days, and the various things she did on each. Day one, which I think is arrival day, was time to go to the Time Out Market with its eclectic collection of local food businesses, well populated by the locals, which, as Kirsten points out, is the way to tell that it's going to be good. Large tables where you can sit where you like and fully expect that strangers will come and join you. It's all part of the atmosphere, says Kirsten, and I really enjoyed it. And also, importantly, it is a hub for those custard pastries, the pastéis de nata, that you're probably craving by that point. You may be pleased to know there's going to be more mention of those in a minute. On day two, Kirsten went on a minibus trip with a group of other visitors. The title apparently being, This is Sintra, A Day to Remember. There were various stops at something I can't pronounce, the Regaleira Palace, maybe. You know, says Kirsten, the one with the spiral staircase that you see on Instagram. Actually, for me, that is the Queen's House in Greenwich. But I'm pleased to be enlightened. They went through various local villages, stopped in one for a traditional lunch, went to Adraga Beach, and the well-known viewpoint, Cabo da Roca. That may not be the proper Portuguese pronunciation. Cabo de Rosa, perhaps. I don't know. I was amused when Kirsten wrote, When I arrived back in Lisbon, I was super tired, so I nipped into McDonald's. Yes, I try and visit in every country I visit. Don't you? And I helped a grandma navigate the self-service machine. Well, Kirsten, I can identify with that. I am a proud grandma. I'm not very good at those self-service machines. I hope I meet you next time I'm trying to work out what buttons to press. Day three was interesting. Kirsten decided to go on a tram ride. You know, those well-known yellow trams from Lisbon. Number 28, she chose. I just purchased a single ticket and went with it, she says. And it was really cool. I didn't actually know where it was heading when I jumped on. 
but I checked out Google Maps and realised we were heading to the Alfama district, so I jumped off halfway up the hill and walked the rest, and it was one of the most memorable parts of Lisbon for me. The streets were dotted with blossom and colourful houses, and I found a little courtyard with a view where I could sit and people watch. Doesn't that sound lovely? And then there's a separate post on Belem, B-E-L-E-M, which is a laid-back area down by the river. Lots of seafood restaurants, colourful houses, historic landmarks, that sort of thing. And this is where we get straight back to custard tarts, because the original Pasteis de Belem bakery, which first started selling them, is here. And yes, you can still go today. You'll probably find there's quite a queue if you want to take something away, but you can sit in as well. An absolute maze of rooms, says Kirsten, decorated with hundreds of tables and chairs in traditional blue and white tiles, freshly made pastries every day, a window through which you can see the kitchen and see how they're made, and each one only costing just over a euro. Cheap and delicious. And then if you want to do some actual sightseeing, things to visit in Belém would include the Geronimus Monastery, built apparently as a welcome home present for that great explorer Vasco da Gama, the first European adventurer to reach India by sea. What a welcome home gift it is, says Kirsten. Late Portuguese Gothic style, incredibly pretty. And yes, there are lots of lovely photos. There's also the Monument of the Discoveries, again a tribute to Portugal's exploring and seafaring past. 33 public figures are recalled on what Kirsten calls this fab architectural piece right on the edge of the river, including all the big names from Portuguese exploration. Henry the Navigator, King Alfonso, who I think probably bankrolled the whole thing, and Vasco da Gama himself. And then there's the Belém Tower, built to protect Belém from pirates, another symbol of the Age of Discovery, somewhere Portugal is really proud of. And they'll let you in for six euros if you want to go and visit. And, says Kirsten, in the summer months when the tide is out, there's a little beach that you can sit on. Alternatively, there are steps to sit on if you just want to gaze at the tower in the sunshine. Yes, I think I do want to just do that. Thank you, Kirsten. And moving on then to our third blogger today, Jackie Sills de la Grazie. Again, apologies if the pronunciation's not quite right. Who runs the globetrottingteacher.com? Hi, I'm Jackie, now the globetrotting teacher, but formerly an elementary school teacher in New York City. Travel has been life-changing for me, whether I'm travelling solo or with my favourite travel partner, Peter, my husband. Using points and miles, I've been to five continents, 30-plus countries and 48 states. Whether you're looking for an itinerary for your next trip, have some points and miles questions, or just want some travel inspiration, you're in the right place. There are lots of different sections on this website too. There's Africa, Botswana, South Africa, Zimbabwe. There's Asia, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam. 12 European countries. So from the beginning of the alphabet, Austria, the Czech Republic. From towards the end, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland. Lots on North America, the US, Canada, Cuba. South America too, Argentina, Chile, Ecuador. And a whole separate section for Jackie's home city, New York City. 20 plus posts on that, one on tips for a first trip, another one a four-day itinerary, and lots on street art, exploring Lower Manhattan, all sorts of things. A slightly more unusual section is the miles and points section. It seems to be one of Jackie's specialities. And she explains, flexible points, airline miles and hotel points 
have been the number one reason behind why I'm able to travel so much. I've used them to fly all over the world, from Patagonia to Southern Africa to Southeast Asia and Europe. So there's information there to help you do the same. And also this little nugget, quote, if you're just getting started with award travel, get access to my free points and miles course, Travel Hacking Basics. And then finally, there's a travel tips section, a collection of the travel resources that Jackie uses to research, plan and book where she goes. All kinds of useful things there if you're a little bit new to any of this. So where to choose? I went for Stockholm and Jackie's three-day itinerary for enjoying that lovely city. It's well organised. She says, for example, each day has must-see and do activities and a mix of optional things to do in Stockholm, depending on your interests. And each day has its own flavour. Day one, why not go to Gamla Stan, which means old town in Swedish. Squares, little narrow streets, cobblestones, shops and cafes. Things to see would include the Stortorget, with, quote, its orange, yellow and red ornate buildings, the Royal Palace, where you can see the changing of the guard, the cathedral, and two buildings connected to the Nobel Prize tradition. There's the Nobel Museum, full of info about the prize itself and lots of the previous winners, and Stockholm City Hall, where the prize is actually awarded and where you can go on a tour. But whichever of those things you choose, finish your day, suggests Jackie, strolling along the Drottinggatan, if indeed that's how you say it, which is Stockholm's pedestrian-only shopping street. Loads of shops and cafes, a good place for a fika break, F-I-K-A, which I think basically means a hot drink and a cinnamon roll. And at the end of this section, there's a link to lots and lots of restaurants, if you want to go a-browsing electronically rather than on foot. For day two, suggests Jackie, why not go to Djurgården, which is the island area of Stockholm, full of museums, green spaces. I think perhaps the best-known museum there is the Vasa Museum. The Vasa was a warship which sank on its maiden voyage only a mile out of Stockholm and which lay on the seabed for 330 years until it was dredged up and preserved and made into a museum. I have been there and it's absolutely fascinating. Whether you want to find out about the seafaring life or just life generally in the 17th century. Just along from there, there is Skansen, an outdoor museum, in fact the world's oldest open-air museum, full of farmhouses and village buildings and guides in costume and character, where you can find out all about life in olden times in Sweden. And possibly of most interest to lots of people, the ABBA Museum. Oh yes, all about the music, original costumes, interactive exhibits, your chance to sing in a recording studio. And whichever of those you choose, just generally, this area of Stockholm is a lovely place to wander. Think islands, watersides, beautiful light, lovely bridges. And consider, says Jackie, going on a boat trip. Perhaps you'll fancy the Royal Canal boat tour, or maybe you'd like to go out and have a look at the Stockholm archipelago, if natural beauty's your thing. And this is natural beauty just minutes from a busy city centre. And for the third day, Drottingholm Palace. Again, somewhere of which I have very fond memories, a lovely golden palace approached by boat, shimmering in hazy sunshine. No wonder it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is in fact also the home of Sweden's present-day royal family. There's lots to look round, but if you have more time later on in that third day, then Jackie has a couple of suggestions. She provides a link to a food tour that she would recommend, 
and also, very helpfully, her own DIY tour of Stockholm's subway art. Subway art is quite the thing in Stockholm. In fact, of the hundred or so metro stations there, about 90 have some art on display. It has in fact been dubbed the longest art gallery in the world. So if that sounds a bit overwhelming, Jackie has helpfully picked out 15 stations it would be worth visiting and given you a suggested route along with ideas for what you'll see and lots of really fab photos to entice you to going to have a look. So then, as ever, there's lots more to be found from these posts than I've managed to mention. But let's move on to another post from Jackie, a different continent, Bangkok. Bangkok for first timers, in fact. A post which opens like this. Bangkok can certainly seem intimidating, with its chaotic streets and crazy nightlife. The city is a blend of old meets new. The traditional meets modern theme can be seen all around the city, with markets that are hundreds of years old on the same street as the Starbucks, and mega mouths with Buddhist shrines set up on the corner outside. Just to give a smattering of the many ideas that are given here for a visit to Bangkok, the Grand Palace, a complex of temples and other buildings that used to house the king and his court and the royal government. If you want to go there, advises Jackie, do remember to dress appropriately, and she gives tips on what that actually means, including one which I enjoyed. If you need to borrow something to wear, you could rent it, but why not buy your own version because, as she asks, when have those sweaty rented clothes last been washed? Two lovely places to visit are on opposite sides of the river, linked by a boat trip between them. They would be Wat Pho, Temple of the Reclining Buddha, stunning grounds, all set around a 150-foot-long reclining Buddha. A fantastic sight, says Jackie. She gives lots of little asides, which she calls pro tips, which are very handy. And the one here is, do realise that you can go and see Watfo at night for free. OK, she says, you won't see the reclining Buddha, but there'll be no crowds. And the ornate flower stupas will be lit up and shimmering in the night sky. You won't regret a night visit. Maybe something to do if you're on a budget, or maybe something extra to do one evening, even if you've been in the daytime because you did want to see the Temple of the Reclining Buddha. And across the river from Wat Pho is Wat Arun, or the Temple of Dawn, a landmark in the Bangkok skyline. Somewhere, says Jackie, you'd be best to go at sunrise or sunset, because you can climb to the top for an excellent vantage point of the city. And then to give just one more pro tip, what about a day trip out to the ancient city of, oh dear, this is hard to say, Ayutthaya, or something like that somewhere where you can see lots more of Thailand's temples, monasteries and palaces. A UNESCO World Heritage Site, no less, with a blend of architectural styles, lots of history, a place which was in fact the former capital of Thailand. And then just to end on a last practical tip, what about a visit to somewhere called Chatuchak Market, a weekend market, described by Jackie as being a swirling labyrinth of streets and aisles, selling everything you could ever want to buy. There are 15,000 booths in there. And if you see something you like, don't wait, because the chances of finding your way back there later are pretty minimal. And, again, good advice, be prepared to haggle for what you want. In some cases, you might pay 50% less than the price you were first told. So, I hope I've given a flavour of Jackie's website. Lots and lots of places, all with enough detail to whet your appetite, enough practical information to help you plan the trip and a smattering on every post of pro tips that will be worth remembering, perhaps especially if you're a first-time visitor to any of the places that she has covered. 
So thanks, Jackie, very much. And finally, a bonus, a fourth blog, when regular listeners will know there are usually only ever three. But Stefano, who runs strayidler.com, got in touch just as I was planning this episode, and I thought, well, why not? And I went to have a better look at his website and discovered that actually it is really a little different from anything I've ever covered before. So again, why not? Diversity is, after all, one of the words of the moment, and we here at City Breaks do like to try and keep up. OK, so what makes it different? Well, Stefano lives in Rome, and he's a writer, although not professionally, and he explains it like this. I write out of passion. I always wrote only out of passion. Over the years, I've completed seven novels. Now I think perhaps it's time to try to introduce some of my thoughts to others. I don't expect literary success, nor to earn thanks for my works, but I confess that I would like to be read, even if only by a small group of people. So let's see if we can help with that. OK, so Stefano also has a passion for travel. I recently started a travel blog, he says, but in fact, I never write the classic travel guides. I swear I tried to, but it's not exactly my style. I mainly write travel stories, enriching them with my reflections. And yes, there are lots of those on the website. Go and have a look. And if I tell you that one I picked out is called Istanbul is a Cat, you will get an immediate idea, perhaps, of what I mean. This is far from being a post that tells you how to get there, where to stay, what to eat, what to do. No, no, no. OK, so this post has 12 fabulous photos of cats, all taken in Istanbul. And said cats are at the Hagia Sophia, in the Blue Mosque, on street corners and doorsteps, and out at the Mamara Sea Rocks. So you are getting to know Istanbul, but in a very slanted sort of way. And there are little bits of text to go with it. For example, quote, The second time I arrived in Istanbul, it was dark already. Of course, it was almost midnight. Anyway, people were still walking around as if the late hour didn't bother them too much, because, after all, Istanbul is a cat and it's active at night time. So you get the flavour. He did go, he did look at some of the main things, and he's telling you a little bit about that, but a lot more about the ideas that occurred to him as he wandered round. To continue, quote, Felines love to spend time outside and to explore, and Istanbul has a great outdoor life, in winter and in summer, day and night. You can see people drinking Turkish coffee or tea, spending time watching passers-by and cats accompany them. In the evening, you can see a huge crowd moving to the Taksim area, walking, having dinner or a drink on a busy little street like Nevisade. During the day, you can observe men and cats basking in the sun on the Mamara Sea Rocks after a pleasant stroll in the nice Yazilikoi neighbourhood. It's different, isn't it? And I find it very interesting. Another post was called A Dive into Skopje, which you may know is in northern Macedonia. And Stefano opens this post by explaining that when he travelled in the past, he used to think, oh, I want to see the things I've already seen in photos and taste the foods I've heard about. But I realised that I was travelling to, as he puts it, cover my expectations. And today, in a way, I could almost say the opposite, he writes. I come back happier when I have some unexpected impressions. This happened to me in Skopje, northern Macedonia. I remember landing in Skopje in the early afternoon and got to know the city centre just before sunset. The first thing I notice? The cafes. 
People everywhere who spend hours at the cafes, just like in Italy. I swear that when I passed by after dinner, some of the people I had seen on the way there were still sitting there. I felt like at home. And again, he does wander through quite a lot of the places you'll probably want to visit and gives you little comments on the side about them. The Archaeological Museum, for example, where he saw a wealth of statues with a socialist flavour. The mosque where he discovered the ancient Turkish soul. The clock tower with its Ottoman and 16th century origins. Lesser known streets. Traditional cafes with sleepy rhythms. A child who darted in front of us on his bike a dozen times came out of nowhere and just disappeared. The fortress with its Byzantine origins, where you can walk along the crenellated walls, very pleasant, and admire the city from above. We were drunk with mixed styles, he says, and we went back to the old bazaar area for refreshing beer. And then I began to wonder, was I seeing umbrellas hanging in the air? I think he'd seen so many different things, he began to feel a little drunk on the experience, perhaps that's a way of putting it. Anyway, one of the photos that Stefano's taken, and his photos are really good, capturing the atmosphere very well, is of dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds, of colourful umbrellas suspended above the bazaar. One of those things you see that really sticks in your mind. So then, thank you Stefano for sharing that with us. And that brings me to the end of this episode. In fact, it brings me to the point where I'm going to take a little break from City Break Ideas. There have been 20 episodes to date. That's about 60 bloggers who've been featured. Thank you very much to all of them. It goes without saying I couldn't possibly do it without you. And all your ideas and input have brought so many more things to listeners than I could possibly have done by myself. So why stop then, I can hear you asking. Well, I've had a couple of bits of good fortune recently. I've been asked to write some articles based on some of my City Break series and I really want to do that and see how it goes. So obviously the time's got to come from somewhere and I've decided I'm going to make my City Break episodes once a fortnight now instead of once a week and so that the rhythm of being in the middle of a City series doesn't get too broken up, I'm going to pause City Break ideas, at least for now. But there are 19 other episodes to listen back to if you have the desire to do that and I hope to that perhaps you'll have a look at the back catalogue for the City series that I've done so far. All kinds of amazing places, from the big hitters like London and Paris, to the southern European beauties like Toulouse and Seville, the lovely Georgian city of Bath in the UK, St Petersburg, excitingly, from Russia, and so on. Do go and have a look. If you want to get a sense for whether you'd like to visit them, or just want to hear the history and the stories from all those beautiful places. What would be really great for anyone who listens would be if you could leave a review, preferably a nice one that might encourage someone else to have a listen. Or if you want to get in touch, please do that. So you can find the episodes at www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk or of course on lots of other podcast platforms. You can email at citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk and you can find us on Twitter at citybreakscast. My current series, if you're listening along, you'll already know, is Edinburgh. We've done six episodes so far. The Castle, the Palace of Holyrood, the Old and the New Town, that sort of thing. And next week, I'm off to the Scottish Parliament at Holyrood. Although, of course, with an eye to history as well and a visit to previous parliaments in the city. And that episode will come out then a fortnight after this one and be followed at two weekly intervals by episodes on other aspects of Edinburgh. The art, the food what there is to see in the surrounding area. Do join me if you can, 
And to end today's episode, of course, of course, I must go back to the four blogs covered today and thank their creators very much, reminding you, of course, that the links to their websites will be in the show notes. So thanks very much indeed to Janice and George from sandinmysuitcase.com, to Kirsten for letsgosomewhereelse.co.uk, to Jackie, the globetrottingteacher.com, and of course, to Stefano from strayidler.com. Merci, thank you, vielen Dank. And because of Stefano, to end on an Italian note, grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.